Chapter Fifty of Autobiography, Memories, and Experiences, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arlene Stebbins. Autobiography, Memories, and Experiences, Volume Two by Moncure Conway. Chapter Fifty. Not long after the death of Carlyle I received from Emerson's daughter, Mrs. Forbes, the amazing information that the greater number of her father's letters to Carlyle could not be found. She had long before received a letter from Carlyle, of which she sent me a copy, declaring that he had never, to his knowledge, destroyed a scrap of paper on which her father's hand had rested, and all would be sent to her. There was also a memorandum to this effect connected with Carlyle's will. But when the package reached Mrs. Forbes, but few of Emerson's letters were in it. I also received from my friend, Professor Charles E. Norton of Cambridge, a cry of distress, he having been long chosen by all concerned to edit the correspondence. We found from Carlyle's letters, carefully preserved by Emerson, that there were more than thirty letters of Emerson missing. I consulted Mrs. Alexander Carlyle, who had lived with her uncle at the close of his life and she informed me that she had received the package from Mr. Froude and forwarded it unopened to Mrs. Forbes. Renewed searches were made, but in vain. I was at that time a literary adviser for Harper and Brothers, and one day, when I was in the office of Trübner, he introduced to me a small middle-aged man who was trying to sell an important manuscript of Carlyle. The result was that on the following Sunday evening I went to the address he gave me in Kentish Town a miserable house, where I was met at the door by the same man, apparently the only occupant. He began by saying he admired and loved me, thereby placing me on my guard. He then brought out the manuscript he wished to sell to the Harpers, Carlyle's autograph journal of his tour in Ireland. The man was unwilling to part with the manuscript even for the night, or to wait till I could consult the Harpers. The sum demanded was exorbitant, and such as, even had I authority, I could not have agreed to on a few minutes' examination. The man pretended to be acting in the interest of another to whom Carlyle had given the manuscript, and this story was repeated by Mr. Froude in his introduction to the work printed soon after. I felt certain that the manuscript had been stolen. By inquiry of Trübner I discovered that the man who offered me the manuscript had been for a time an amanuensis for Carlyle. I suppress the name because I believe he has children. About that time the London Athenaeum published four of the missing letters of Emerson. The editor, Mr. McColl, told me that the letters printed were selected by him from a large number, the same history being given of them as of the Irish manuscript they had been given to his German secretary. Knowing well that Carlyle had never willingly parted with a letter of Emerson, and that the thief was the one who offered me that journal, I still did not confide my suspicions to any one. I believe it was on a simple conjecture that they would be offered to the American minister, Lowell, that I consulted him. He had indeed been offered the letters, but declined to buy them. If he had given notice of the offer to Carlyle's executors, a good deal of trouble might have been prevented. Unfortunately, Lowell could not give me the address of those who had the letters, so for some weeks I turned myself into a detective. I discovered that the rogue had been negotiating under the alias of Beckerweise, and that he was one of a ring. Finally I discovered that the letters had passed to the address of William Anderson, dealer in autographs and manuscripts, 
Toronto Villa, Torriano Avenue, London, N.W. My friend Mr. Wolcott of Concord was passing through London at the time, and he volunteered to accompany me to the Anderson place. We concluded, however, that the dealers might be timid if we both appeared, so one of us remained nearby. The people at this address said they knew the lady who had the letters to sell, and she would call on me. My address in Bedford Park was given, and it was promised that she would call next day, Monday. The woman duly came. My wife and I, fearing that any effort to put the law in motion might cause the destruction of the letters, resolved on strategy. The woman was middle-aged, crafty, and very timorous. Her story that Carlyle had given the letters to a friend, etc., I accepted without hesitation. As she had come all the way from Kentish Town to Bedford Park, my wife hastened to refresh her with tea and treated her like a lady. Finding that she had brought only four of the letters, I agreed to her price, ten pounds for the four, on condition that next day I might bring them to her and examine others until I could select the four preferred. She chose, however, to bring the rest herself, and did so. Fortunately, on a day when we had guests, and when it was necessary for her to leave them for examination during the evening. The first four left had of course been copied, and those she took back. My wife and I sat during the entire night copying the rest. The address left by the woman was the same as that where I had been offered the Carlyle manuscript. Having lost her timidity, the woman seemed to enjoy the negotiation. My wife gave her cake and sherry. I agreed to take an additional letter, and possibly others if she would bring all she had and let me keep them overnight, and in that way we discovered she had twenty-seven. Having closely verified our copies and posted them, registered to Professor Norton, I at once unfolded the whole matter to Sir James Stephen, co-executor with Froude of Carlyle's papers. It was talked over, November 20, 1882, in a long walk, and I received from Sir James the next morning the following letter. I always like to put in writing the substance of anything of importance which I may have said, as it saves mistakes and misunderstandings. I write accordingly to remind you of what passed between us this afternoon. You told me that there had been a correspondence between Mr. Carlyle and Mr. Emerson for many years, that Mr. Carlyle in 1875 wrote a letter to Mr. Emerson's daughter, of which you showed me a copy, saying amongst other things that he wished Mr. Emerson's letters to be given to Mr. Emerson's family after his, Mr. Carlyle's, death. You added that Mr. Froude had accordingly asked Mrs. Mary Carlyle to return Mr. Emerson's letters to his family, and that she, and I think you said Mr. Froude, had accordingly returned all they had, being only three or four. You further told me that the rest of Mr. Emerson's letters, twenty-six in number, had been ascertained by you to be in the hands of certain persons in London who are dealers in autographs, and who profess to have received them from Mr. Ballantine, a publisher, who they said got them from Mr. Neuberg, who had at one time acted as secretary to Mr. Carlyle. This account was inconsistent with Mr. Carlyle's letter, which implied that he either had or believed himself to have possession of the letters in 1875, some years after Mr. Neuberg's death. Lastly, you told me that you had found means to procure copies of these letters which you had forwarded to Mr. Charles Norton, who you said is about to publish them, together with Mr. Carlyle's letters which had been carefully preserved by Mr. Emerson. 
Having thought over these matters, you asked me both as one of Mr. Carlyle's executors and as a lawyer what I thought of the matter. I replied that in my opinion Mr. Emerson's letters to Mr. Carlyle were the property of Mr. Carlyle's personal representatives, but subject to the right of Mr. Emerson's personal representatives to prevent their publication, and that if you were right in supposing that the letters had got into the hands of the present possessors by fraudulent means that property still subsisted. I further said, however, that in the circumstances you stated it would, in my opinion, be difficult for Mr. Carlyle's executors to establish their legal right to the letters, and to gain possession of them by summary means, though I considered it not improbable that something might be done towards inducing them to give the letters up. I further said that in my character as one of Mr. Carlyle's executors, I had no sort of objection to the publication of the letters by Mr. Norton and that as far as I was concerned as executor, I had only to thank you for what you had done in the matter. I said finally that if the Emerson family wished to recover the letters from their present possessors I should be glad to serve them. I think I went so far as to say I should have no objection to allow them to sue in my name, but if I did I ought not to have said so. I do not think I ought to say any more than that if they show a strong wish upon the subject to recover the originals, I should be disposed to help them but I should not be disposed to allow my name to be used, or to advise Mr. Froude to allow his name to be used, unless evidence of our title to the letters, fully satisfactory to me in a legal point of view, were forthcoming, and of course upon the usual terms as to indemnity against all costs. I have written this in order to prevent all possible mistakes, and to serve as a memorandum. In answer I wrote to Sir James, November 22nd, I have received yours of the twentieth, and shall forward a copy of it to Mrs. Forbes by to-morrow's mail. Neuberg died in 1867. Mrs. Mary Carlyle wrote me, August 12, concerning the letters forwarded last year. I received this packet from Mr. Froude for the purpose. I did not examine it, but dispatched it as I received it. I did not mean to convey the impression you have received that there were only three or four letters so forwarded. There must have been many more but there were thirty-four letters and one document missing. These were offered for sale at five places known to me. Among these letters are, or were when I saw them, two from Jane Welsh to Thomas Carlyle. Mrs. Forbes writes me that these letters from her father are mentioned in Carlyle's will. The woman with whom I dealt for the letters did not to me name Mr. Neuberg first. She said the letters had been given by Carlyle to his secretary who helped him on his books. I suggested Neuberg, and she said she thought that was the name. The editor of the Athenaeum told me that when the letters were offered to him the same history was given of them as that Mr. Froude has given of the Irish diary in his preface. This is the Neuberg Ballantine story. When I parted with Sir James Stephen on the twentieth, he said he was going to Froude's house, and I was not surprised by his letter. Poor Froude was in a sad tangle already about the Carlyle business. My own relations with him, which for eighteen years had been intimate, had become strained, and it was on that account that I had resorted to Sir James. I felt sure that Froude would not touch any new complication. He may, however, have called to account the fraudulent amanuensis who deceived him in the matter of the Irish diary, for I think the ring became suspicious of me. When I presently made an effort to negotiate for the remaining originals of the letters, it was replied that they were all sold. 
Perhaps, however, it was true. A few months later a young Emersonian at Cambridge, England, wrote to me of his joy in having obtained a letter of Emerson to Carlyle. At my request he sent me its date, and I had to tell him it was one of the stolen letters and should be sent to Mrs. Forbes. He wrote back with much agitation, but the letter was never forwarded. Alexander Ireland printed one of the letters in his book on Emerson, but it was one I had been able to supply to Norton from a copy Carlyle allowed me to make, and Mrs. Forbes concluded not to disturb her father's old friend by asking for it. On April eleventh, eighteen ninety three, four letters of Emerson to Carlyle were sold at auction, Sotheby's, for twelve pounds, fifteen shillings, of which three were among those I had copied for Norton. These letters were from the collection of Mr. T. G. Arthur of Glasgow. The Ring had also transferred its operations to New York, where the Tribune published four of the letters. Little by little Mrs. W. H. Forbes obtained a large number of her father's letters. My friend Charles Norton wished to dwell largely on this story in the introduction to his volume, but I advised him not to do so lest it should excite the suspicion of the Ring, and prevent me from procuring originals for Mrs. Forbes so he contented himself with expressing in the preface his gratitude for my having obtained the letters which had fallen into strange hands. End of chapter 50